Hello, this is Gary Hartley by The Chalkboard. Today, I want to share with you uh, spiritual insights uh, into uh, my experiences of spiritual awakening over the last uh, few years. Uh, a few years ago, uh, just some amazing things started happening to me within me, changing my perspective, changing my understanding of life, changing my understanding of this life. This life is me. This is the life that I was looking for. This is the life everyone is looking for. You're looking for your own life. You're not looking for someone else's life. You're looking for yours, this life. And through my, what do I call it, growth and changes that were occurring within me, I started writing things down. And these thoughts and ideas would come to me. Uh, sometimes they would come to me in dreams, sometimes in the middle of the night. Uh, one of the things I would do is I would sit with um, uh, my phone next to me uh, when I was sleeping and I would wake up and, and I would record some of these thoughts in the middle of the night. And I'm so glad I did that. I would do it with a recording app speaking into it because uh, when I listened to it the next day, frequently, I would uh, not remember what I said. And so I started recording these things and writing them down. I wrote them down in, uh, in the notes of my phone. I wrote them down at work. I wrote them down on my computer, on my, my Kindle. And I decided one day I was going to put all these things together, uh, specifically because I wanted something for my children to have. Hey, these are thoughts of dad. This is a great idea. So I started writing these things down. And I thought, I wonder if I could publish this into a book. And so I started exploring uh, publishing, self-publishing a Kindle book on Amazon. And that's what I ended up doing. And <clears throat> if you've ever had a desire to self-publish a book, uh, the most difficult part of it is actually writing it. And um, uh, Amazon, it makes it fairly easy. They have a lot of tutorials and instructions on there on exactly how to publish a book. If you're interested in publishing a book, you can self-publish a Kindle book fairly easily, as long as you have one written. Uh, the formatting takes time. Mine was a little simpler because it's short. So I just want to share with you today some of the things I wrote down in my book. My book that I published a couple of years ago is called Pointing to the Light by Gary Hartley, just thoughts and insights on spiritual awakening from my own experience of it. So one of the things that I put in here at the beginning is one of my dreams. And I've been keeping a dream journal since 2008, and I may do a podcast just on dreams. And um, I put this dream at the beginning of my book because it was a very important dream. And I put the date down. It's dated uh, February 27th, 2016. And this is the dream. In my dream, I was standing outside at night in my backyard, looking up at the sky. The planet Venus caught my attention when suddenly I could see it as if time didn't exist the same way. I watched Venus track in an arc across the sky and over the horizon leaving a bright trail where it had been. The rest of the sky stayed still. Then I saw more tracks from other planets and comets and meteors, many 
of which were way out of my normal range of vision. Then the sky became full of distant galaxies, stars, and moving streaks of light. Living in a small town with streetlights, normally all that is visible are just a few stars and planets. I was in awe at what I was seeing and was expressing my amazement out loud. My wife came outside and began laughing at me. I wasn't sure if it was because she could see what I was seeing or if she thought I was acting crazy. Then my vision expanded further and I saw a large number of bright glowing spiritual beings, immense in size, moving all over the sky. It was so beautiful, I began to weep deeper than I ever had before. I felt like my spiritual vision was being opened up. That was a really important dream to me. And I was my I still had tears in my eyes when I woke up and it still moves me when I read that now. But that was a very important dream to me just being able to, uh, you know, experience and see things that were normally outside my, uh, my range of vision, if I just stepped outside here, to look up at the sky, and to see it expand and expand and see things and the images of those, those glowing beings completely covering the sky, and they were gigantic, moving. Um, it just, uh, it just moved me to tears deeply. So uh, this next one is, is about forgiveness. It's called a good lesson. And uh, this happened with my two daughters, Maggie and Rainey. One evening, my daughters, Maggie and Rainey, started fighting with each other over some trivial matter. First, they started yelling at each other, which was soon followed by some kicks and punches and then some tears. While I was separating the girls, I told them I was removing some of the evening's fun privileges from the schedule because they couldn't get along. I spent a few minutes alone with each sister, listening to them blame the other one for their own actions. She wouldn't stop looking at me, but she kicked me first. After calming them down, I told each of them they would have to get together and resolve their disagreement. They finally agreed and met in a bedroom. A couple of minutes later, they emerged from the room smiling and happily announced they had fixed everything. I was proud of their efforts that brought such quick resolution, so I reinstated the fun privileges for the evening. Rainey looked at me and said, but you told us we couldn't do that tonight because we were fighting. Rainey, I answered, remember what I am about to tell you. Forgiveness changes the course of the entire world. That was an important lesson for them and for me, because forgiveness changes everything, doesn't it? It changes your heart. It changes the way you see people when you forgive. And truly, forgiveness is, is always about yourself, because when you have unforgiveness towards someone, you're seeing them in the wrong light. You're seeing what is untrue about them. When you see what is true about someone and have true vision, um, th this is the way to see someone, and it's the way you'll see yourself. So forgiveness is really all about yourself, and it's about forgiving yourself for seeing someone in a way that uh, that is untrue about them because people want to be seen in true light and you want to be seen in true light. And I know in spiritual awakening, one of the things that helped me a whole lot was learning to see myself truly because I had made up a whole lot of illusions and false beliefs about myself that were simply not true. And when those begin to come unraveled and I begin to see 
that, you know what, this life is a great life. This life, this life is me. When you begin to see you as a great life, as a great aspect of life, one little microscopic aspect of life here on this earth, and you begin to see yourself as something wonderful and great, your life expands in amazing ways. And then you start seeing other people the exact same way. You see the same thing. You may see someone that was frustrating to you before in a completely different light. Nothing about them may have changed. They may still be the same frustrating person, but you see something different now because you see something different about yourself. And this is one of the important aspects of forgiveness because it sheds, uh, it uh, drops the shadows off of you and brings you as life into the light so you can see clearly who you are, who you are in a wonderful and fantastic way. So to my listener, I come from a, a Christian background, and I'm thankful for all of that heritage. So um, a lot of the things that have occurred to me in my spiritual awakening involve Christ and many times things that are written in the Bible that uh, just took on a whole new light um, when I began to read them in a, in a refreshing way, in a new way. Um, so this passage is called uh, The Offer of Peace. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This should be the call of every believer in Christ. It is the call which should be extended to everyone we meet. It is the offer of peace. Extend peace then to everyone who is sharing the road with you. Give them rest from the hurry and anxiety of driving. Offer peace to everyone who works with you. Show them your peace is unmoved by mistakes, deadlines, and paperwork. Provide peace for every customer who comes into your business. Before you offer them a product or service, invite them into your rest. You can pray for peace, but God has already given his answer. Peace will increase in you when you share it with everyone you meet. I really like that. Share your peace with everyone and be prepared for that every day. Because the more you share your peace, the more you will find it increases in you. Same thing with other things. If you find yourself lacking in patience, well, the simple way to increase that is to share your patience with somebody else and watch it grow in you. And it will grow in such a way that you will find yourself undisturbed by things that used to disturb you. And then that's what I call spiritual awakening. When you become aware of something about yourself that was greater than what you believed before. I've encountered situations that used to make me frustrated or angry. And that frustration and anger, it just didn't show up. It wasn't something that rose within me emotionally or in a thought or both. And I had to, you know, be aware of it and do something with it. It just didn't happen. It just didn't happen. It wasn't there at all. And to me, that's what spiritual awakening means is, coming to that awareness that, wow, these things really do work if I put them in the practice this way, offering my peace to everyone and uh, being unaffected by the negative influence that, that used to, uh, you know, used to have some, some influence on me, sometimes greater than others. So let's see, what else should I read here? Ah, uh, this is a good one. This is called suffering. 
there are moments where I still believe if I suffer enough, it will lead to my freedom. If I can carry this heavy burden, which I have packaged together far enough, if I can drag this heavy chain, which I have shackled to my own leg far enough, if I can bear the burden of my guilt, which I have placed upon myself far enough, perhaps I will be free. You may identify with this. Uh, this is a this is a way of thinking that is not healthy. And but I used to think this way, that perhaps I deserved suffering, that um, without realizing at the time that so much of that suffering, perhaps all of it, was my own doing. It was a result of my own thinking. It was a result of living in the memory of the past or being anxious about a future that doesn't exist instead of being present with what is happening right now and being aware of what is happening right now. And I used to think that I deserved those things and um, came to the realization over time that, you know what, this heavy chain around my leg that I feel like I have to drag with, I, I put that there myself, this heavy burden I'm carrying, I'm carrying it because I put it there. <laughs> I can also put it down. I can put it down, but I don't want to put it down because sometimes it it's almost like Gollum with his ring in, in Lord of the Rings. You know, my precious. Oh, this is my this is my precious. I'm keeping it. Oh, I know it's unhealthy and it's doing damaging things to me, but I'm gonna hold on to it. Um no. Being able to to set those things down, realizing, you know what, I've done this to myself. I've imagined this in my own mind and place these burdens upon myself. And since I've placed them upon myself, it's my doing to undo those things. And I can do that. This one's called celebrating life. And this is appropriate at this time of year. A few times a year, we participate in special celebrations birthdays, anniversaries, national or religious holidays, etc. But the celebration of life is going on right now, every day, every minute, every second. Still looking for your invitation? You are already an ornament on God's Christmas tree. I like that one. Ah, this passage is called Hide and Seek. There is a game children play. All over the world, in every culture, they play it. Here in America, we call it hide and seek. In this game, a group of children get together, and one child is chosen to be the seeker. The seeker closes their eyes and counts while the rest of the children hide. When the seeker is finished counting, he opens his eyes and shouts out, Ready or not, here I come. Now what? In this game... There is no how. There are no notes to take, nothing to memorize, no books to read. Only one thing is required, and that is to know where to look. Once the seeker knows where to look, everything is found. This is really important as a seeker, as you're searching for life, because where is life? Well, I used to think life was something outside of me right? Life is something out here. 
something must change out here. I want something better out here in order to have a better life. But I was looking in the wrong place. I didn't know where to look. In my spiritual awakening, as I call it, I realized that where I needed to look was within me, within me, to close my eyes and look from here, look here within me. When I began to do that, I began to watch my life unfold in really unusual and remarkable ways that I could not have expected, <laughs> had no expectations of what could possibly happen to me. And this can happen to you. If you're looking for your life outside of yourself, out here in this world, you're not going to find it there because it's not there. Your life is you, the one looking, the one listening, the one looking. This is you looking as life, looking as life, experiencing life. This is you. This takes a special looking to look and see um, where this life is, your life here, not outside of you, but within you here. Hmm. Ah, here's something I wrote about politics. <laughs> politics is like a shadow. It has shape, perhaps some form, and appears to move. But a shadow is not a place to look for light. I thought that was important when I wrote it because, uh, and I, I did this in my life too, and a lot of people do, spend time looking for some form of light to come out of the, uh, you know, the political arena wherever you live. That if someone different is elected, then I'm going to find a greater aspect of life. Well, what if your aspect of life has nothing to do with who is elected president or mayor or governor or whatever position? What if your aspect of life is only the one observing those things happening? Because it is. See, happiness is not found outside of you regardless of whether it's an election or whether you're in a relationship with a particular person you want to, or whether your job changes, happiness is found within you. In fact, you were made with it. It's a part of you as you, as life. Happiness is a part of life. Just like sunlight is a part of the sun. There's no difference. The two are one. And so happiness is a part of you in a natural way. It's not something you have to strive to seek. It's an existence as your existence. Well, I want to talk about something that began happening to me. And the only way I can describe it in words is I became aware that the voice of my mind is different than the voice that arises from my heart. And again, it's hard to explain this in words unless you've experienced that. And I've talked to people who understand, like, yes, there is a difference. Because the mind or the intellect has, uh, you know, there's boundaries to it. It only goes so far. But there's something about this voice from the heart that is expansive and there's no boundaries to it. And I begin to be aware of that voice that occurs within me. And sometimes this voice would, uh, you know, would come to me, it still does, in the middle of the night, I would wake, wide up, wake up wide awake and these words would be there. Sometimes very profound words. Um, before I read this next section, I'll, I'll tell you one. Uh, a few years ago, um, I was preparing to fast during the month of February and I was trying to determine what I was going to fast from because I'd always pick something. 
you know, for the month of February, I'm not going to do this or have that or some form of fasting like that. Well, in the middle of the night, I woke up and these two words were there in my heart, profound, deep, clear, crystal clear words. And the words were fasting too. And the meaning of that came to me. Fasting is not about fasting from something. It's about fasting to something. It's about fasting to. And that completely changed my fast for that February. Because I was trying to, in a way, suffer. Or pretend I was suffering by not partaking in these things, whatever they were. And fasting too became something completely different. Oh, this is fasting too. So sometimes those kind of words come to me and they're deep and profound and they mean something to me in my life, something I need to look at very closely. So this came to me the same way because I began to be aware and I was reading things that talked about how God being light, only light, only sees what is true about you. You think God looks at you and can see your sin, the darkness, the void. And I was asking God about this one day. Is this, is this true? I was praying. Is this true? When you look at me, do you only see what you have made? Do you only see your creation when you see me? And these words came to me. And the words were, the sun has never seen a shadow. The sun has never seen a shadow. It knows nothing of shadows. The sun shines its light on everything it looks upon and everything it sees is illuminated. To the sun, shadows don't exist. <laughs> there are no shadows in God since shadows show only that something is blocking the light. Nothing is blocked to God. So when he looks upon something, his light illuminates it perfectly. And the shadows of our own illusions cannot keep us from our creator. It may seem that they can, but it is impossible for a shadow to block the sun. And that was a real important revelation to me. Like, oh. And I realized this, and I talked about this uh, a few minutes before, about seeing what is true about someone and seeing what is true about yourself. When you see a, what is true about yourself, you begin to only see what is true about other people. This is how we are made. When I have beliefs about myself that are untrue, and I believe in those things, I'm inadequate, for instance. Um, I'm not worthy. I can't do this. I can't succeed. Things like that. Well, I look upon other people the same way. I see them as a reflection of that. But when I get, begin to see myself as, oh, you know what? I'm a, I'm a wonderful aspect of life. I'm a wonder. You are a wonderful aspect of life. This is an important reminder for you to remind yourself of daily. I am an important, an important aspect of life. I am full of life. I am full of love. I am full of peace. I am full of happiness. When those things begin to rise within you, and they do and they will because you're made with them, you begin to see other people the same way. Well, why would the creator see me any differently if I'm recognizing that I see other people this way? Well, this is how God sees people, sees his creation, right? The sun has never seen a shadow. That was a really profound one.
one of the, the uh, profound things that Jesus said that is still being unwrapped over and over in my life all the time. It's very simple, but it's so deep. He said, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. He could have said it another way. He could have said, you are the peace of the world. You are the life of the world. You are the truth of the world. You see, you do not have the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Jesus could say this about you because he recognized it being true about himself. And what you recognize to be true about yourself, you see in others. Ah, here's a good one. Social media. Is social media bad or good? Social media is like a cup. Is a cup bad or good? Neither. It is only a vessel. Fill it with something that satisfies and is worth drinking. <laughs> That's a good one for social media, I think. Hmm. Uh, here's a good section. Are you a liberal or a conservative? Left-minded or right-minded? Are there any liberal clouds in the sky? Any conservative beams of sunlight? Any left-wing or right-wing drops of water in a stream? Can you find a radical tree in the forest or an enlightened flower in the field? These are just labels. What you truly are is beyond labeling. Throw labels away and simply be yourself. Search this deeply. Ask the questions you may have. What is yourself? Where is your self? Where are you? If you are part of the left or right, are you over there somewhere? Do you have to look to the left or right to find yourself? Do you ever say, oh, look, there I am over there. <laughs> Has anyone ever discovered themselves somewhere other than here in this moment? Something within you is always right here, right now, unattached to labels and present. And the very next thing is related to that. It's called being the fastest. Why is the fastest among us given so much acclaim? Why is the strongest or smartest or most attractive human elevated above the rest? Is the fastest bird in a flock perceived as being the best by other birds? Is the tallest tree in a forest famous to any other tree? Has Mount Everest ever received an award from any other mountain for being the tallest? Has a single flower in a field ever thought that the flower next to it was more beautiful? When you step back and look at what is natural, no awards are needed. No acclaim is necessary for you to be you. Ah, this next one is called the image of God. This is worth seeking out. So, the Bible says we are made in the image of God. What is this image? Where is this image? Can this be found? Can it be known? Can it be seen? In truth, you can't see it. You are it. You see from it. 
and you are also the witness of it. You, the one looking right now, are the image of God looking. So you are the image of God. You don't have the image of God. You are this. Just like I said earlier, you don't have the light of the world. You are this. You are the light of the world. Now, here's another one that uh, where these words came from my heart, and I wrote them down exactly as I heard them. To give you a little background, growing up in Christian churches, a number of times over the years, I've heard preachers say something like, we don't deserve God's grace. And something within me started questioning that. What does that mean? Is that true? We don't deserve God's grace? And I was praying about this. And this is what I heard, and I wrote it down word for word. This is exactly what I heard. Stop trying to determine for yourself what you think you deserve. You have never been right about this even once. Instead, give all beliefs about deserving over to him who says you are worthy of everything. I just, I still laugh every time I read that. Stop trying to determine for yourself what you think you deserve. You have never been right about this even once. <laughs> and I started looking at my life going, that's exactly right. Because I used to make up all these things. Oh, I deserve this or I don't deserve that. Well, I've never been right about that. The things that I deserve, apparently, is life. Because here I am. What have you done to deserve to exist as life? Anything? No. Here you are. Suddenly, your life, existing, experiencing life here on earth. Did you earn that somehow? No. Suddenly, you're just here, existing. There's no deserving involved with that. The most beautiful things that ever happened to me had nothing to do with what I thought I deserved. The love and life and peace and joy and happiness, those things have nothing to do with you deserving them. They're a part of you as life. Life is not life without those things. You are not you without those things. Those are part of you. Oh, this is a good one. This is a good one. And it's a good one because of my experience of it. I used to feel guilty simply because a bad thought would rise up in my mind. Has that ever happened to you? A thought just comes up, a bad thought, and you feel guilty because you had this thought. I'll continue reading. I would recoil inside and try to deny the thought like it didn't happen. I wanted my mind to be like Christ because there's a verse in the Bible that says, but we have the mind of Christ. I always liked the verse, but I always felt like, I didn't have the mind of Christ. I want the mind of Christ, but I have all these terrible thoughts. How can I have the mind of Christ if all these terrible thoughts are there? I wanted my mind to be like Christ. Surely he never had thoughts like these. Then I realized Jesus did have thoughts like these. Because the Bible says he was tempted in all ways, just like we are. You cannot be tempted unless... There is a thought. It's not that Jesus didn't have bad or tempting thoughts. He put all those thoughts in front of him. He thought he saw every thought for what it was and took every single one captive. How wonderful the humanity of Jesus. 
Now I am free to accept that unwanted thoughts might arise, but also free to accept that I have these thoughts. Now when an unwanted thought arises, I put it in front of me. Another way to describe this is I bring the thought into the light and let it be fully exposed. Then the thought dispels into the light. See, I used to fight my thoughts, which is not a, a very successful venture. If you want to see how that's going to come out, have your right hand fight your left hand. This is, <laughs> there's no success in that. And you'll end up hurting yourself if you continue. Well, it's the same thing with your thoughts. They're rising from within you. They're an aspect of you. So you can't fight yourself and win. So it's not about fighting thoughts. It's about being aware of them and accepting it. Okay, that thought came. I don't have to respond to that thought in any way. I can do with it as I want. One of the things I describe to people is that I have control over my hand. And I can do with my hand as I want to. I can pick things up. I can move it. I can keep it still if I want to. I can use this hand for good. I can use this hand for evil. I can do whatever I want to with this hand. It is under my control. You can do the same thing with your thoughts. If you just step back and look at them. When a thought arises, you can look at it like, okay, I see that thought. I don't have to respond to it. I don't even have to get emotional about it in any way. I see that thought. It's there. Okay. I'm going to continue on my way. You can control your thoughts in this way, not controlling which one arises because they just kind of appear out of nowhere, don't they? I mean, what thought are you going to have 10 seconds from now? You have no idea. It just shows up. <laughs> Sometimes it might be a terrible thought. But I came to peace with that, realizing I can have any thought I want. Okay, go ahead, show on up. But I know what to do with it now. And that's what freed me from this constant anxiety and fight about what was going on in my mind and in intellect. Uh, this next section is called try to exist. Are you constantly struggling, trying to do something, trying to accomplish something, trying to improve in some way, trying to be spiritual? Stop trying. Let's try something for a moment. Just for a moment, try to exist. Oh, look, you exist. But you didn't have to try at all. Okay, let's try something else. Just for a moment, try to be yourself. Ah, you are really good at this. You are already yourself. Except again, you didn't have to try at all. Want to keep trying? Try to pump your blood through your body. Next time you eat, try to digest your food. Try to listen to my voice. <laughs> you get the idea. True life unfolds naturally without the struggle of trying. Ah, this one is called rejecting God. I believe it's okay for someone to reject God. Why? Because the very most anyone can do is reject what they believe about God. The very best anyone can do is reject what they think they understand about God, who is beyond understanding. So if you want to reject God, do it. Clear your table of everything you know about God. 
set aside everything you have learned and believe. Then sit back and look. Is there anything left? Something is still here. Something unrejected, beyond your own understanding and belief, remains. Something that cannot be rejected is still present. You are still here. If you could completely reject God, then you would simply disappear and cease to exist. People all over the world would be disappearing all the time if this kind of rejection were possible. <laughs> Remember, even in your rejection, God will always testify to what is true about you. Hmm. Uh, this, is, this is a good one. This is thoughts on suicide. Someone might say, I want to kill myself. So I might ask them, are there two of you? You said, I want to kill myself. So who is the I who is to die? And who is the I who is to do the killing? I agree, someone must die, but who is this one? And who is the one left who will witness to this? That one's kind of deep and profound. Because there's only one of you. There's not more than one of you, is there? You might say, I am depressed. Well, who is the one depressed and who is the one witnessing to that? Because someone is seeing depression and you can't see yourself. Can you turn and look at your own eyes? <laughs> Can you turn and see the one looking? Try that sometime. Just sit still and try to look at the one looking, you. You can't see yourself. This, this really happened. When my oldest daughter was four years old, uh, her mother and I in, were in a car driving and, and she was in the back seat, Rainy is her name, and she started acting distressed about something. And her mom asked, Rainy, what's wrong? And Rainy said, I can't see my eyes. <laughs> That's a really profound thing for a four-year-old. Like, I can't see my own eyes. You can't turn and see yourself. You can't see yourself. It's like a knife. You know, a knife can cut many things, but a knife cannot cut itself because it is one. A scale can weigh many things, but a scale cannot weigh itself because it is one. You as the one looking, you can observe many things and experience many things. Can you observe yourself? Can you turn and see yourself? No. You can't see the one looking because you're the one looking. Try that sometime and just sit. Go, who is the one looking? Who is the one looking? And along those lines, uh, this is called I Am Found. There's a line from the song Amazing Grace that says, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Well, who is the one who was lost? When I was lost, who was the one seeking? Who was the one which is found? And who is the one who has done the finding? Who is the one that becomes aware that I am found? <laughs> when you find you, what do you find? What is there? What is there when you find you? When you're looking for you, you're looking for your life. That's what everyone's looking for. Everything we've ever done in life that we look at as mistakes, we're searching for life, but it's your life you're searching for. It's your own life. It's you as life that you're looking for. And that is found within you as you.
Oh, this is good. Bring everything hidden into the light. You may fear your weaknesses will be exposed, but actually what is true about you will be revealed. Only what is untrue will be exposed. What is untrue must be brought into the light for it to disappear. Hmm. Ah, this is called fire of grace. There's a verse in the Bible in Hebrews chapter 12 that says, for our God is a consuming fire. Used to be a fearful verse for me. Not so fearful anymore. God is surely a consuming fire and you will be consumed. But this fire is a fire of grace and it will only consume what is false about you. It will only consume what is untrue about you. It will only burn up what is inadequate about you. It will only incinerate all your illusions and false beliefs you have made for yourself. This fire of grace will burn away everything until all that is left is what is pure and holy and eternal. It will melt you into him. Ask God to do this to you every day. Ask a thousand times until it is done. God, melt me into you. One of the things I learned from listening to this man, uh, his name is Muji, M-O-O-J-I. Um, he talked about asking God to change him, to, to change me to you. And I adopted that in my life. And for a long time, I, I, I would wake up in the morning and pray that God change me to you because I can't do it. I've tried. I don't know how. I don't know how to change myself. Not in the way I want. Change me to you. It's such a simple prayer. But it's such a beautiful thing to start the day with. God, change me to you today. Not tomorrow, today. Change me to you. Change me to you. What a beautiful prayer. Ah, this is called free your brother. <clears throat> when we cast guilt upon someone, we have made ourselves like a prison guard who has put a man in a cell and stands watch over him. As long as he remains our prisoner, surely this means we will be free. This is the delusion that our own freedom is dependent on. Wait, this is the delusion that our own freedom is dependent on keeping this person behind bars. We keep careful watch over him so we can again catch him committing a crime against us, ensuring he stays locked up. But while we are watching over him, we don't realize that the bars we are looking at are those of our own prison cell that we have built for ourselves. Our own freedom depends upon us releasing the one we have imprisoned. Keeping him imprisoned, keep him imprisoned, and you will remain imprisoned. Free your prisoner. Open the door of his prison cell and you will both walk free together. No one walks free alone. This one is about forgiveness. When you find your brother guilty, what you do is you keep him in a prison cell because you want to keep him guilty. Because somehow in our twisted way of thinking, we think that means we'll be free. But no, the bars of the cage that you're looking through as you look over your guilty brother, whom you've called guilty, are the bars of your own prison cell you made for yourself. And you're holding the key the whole time. You built the cage. You're, you're holding the key. So release your brother and you will walk free at the same time. You walk free together. 
So don't keep, don't keep your brother, your sister, your neighbor, your friend. Don't keep them in prison in your mind by continually finding them guilty of something because this becomes as a reflection back to you and you will find yourself guilty of something and you will stay in that prison cell. Now, free your brother of that guilt. There's a, a book called A Course in Miracles and one of the things it talks about is if you've had trouble with someone in your life, the next time you see them, see them again for the first time. See them again for the first time. Someone who's bothered you in the past, the next time you see them, see them again for the first time with no past, no memory, as a new person. And then you will see yourself the same way. Ah, surrender. Oh, I used to hate the word surrender, especially in church. I hated seeing, there was a time I hated singing songs about surrender. Oh, surrender to God. And until I began to understand what surrender meant. Surrender to this moment. This doesn't mean don't feel. You must allow yourself to feel everything. Surrender by allowing all your feelings and emotions to be released. Let them rise to the surface and acknowledge them. See them. Sit with them. Don't deny them or resist them. Accept that they are there. <clears throat> if there is suffering, then allow the suffering. If there is sorrow, then weep. If there is anger, see the anger. If there is fear, recognize that fear is there. Bring it all out into the light. Stay in, aware, stay in awareness and notice the ego wants you to react. Don't react to the feelings. Stay present and still and let God testify to what is true about you. Sometimes I would do this when I was angry or frustrating or frustrated. I would lay in the floor and be still and I would just watch all the feelings and emotions that were happening to me in that moment. I would sit there and just watch them and acknowledge that they were there. Okay, I see this. I see this anger. I see this frustration. And doing that had amazing effects on my life in order to dispel those things. And the way I describe it is it's bringing, it's bringing them into the light. It's like bringing a shadow into the light. It's gone. <clears throat> and this takes practice. Sometimes things take time, depending on how deep the anger is. But it's a worthy practice to do, to sit still. Like I said, I like to lay in the floor because... I don't know, it's something calming about just laying in the floor and uh, just watch my emotions and watch my thoughts and feelings as they're arising, especially when I'm frustrated or angry at something. So to me, that's what true surrender means. Oh, this is a good one. This is a good one. This is a good one because it, it was good for me. Um, I actually put a date on this. It was February 23rd, 2016. And which is really interesting because that dream I read earlier was from February 27th, 2016. So this is just a couple of weeks later. And so there's definitely a connection between this writing and that dream. This is called God is innocent. God has declared me innocent. Heard that before and never really truly believed it until today. Today, something remarkable happened. Today, I found God innocent. Innocent of making me suffer. Innocent of creating me inadequate and not good enough. 
innocent of authoring the pain and sorrow that I have experienced in my life. I have accused him of so many things. I have blamed him for my weaknesses and failures. I have blamed him for things I have lost and for things others around me have lost. I have blamed him for sickness and death. But today I declared him innocent of all the charges I have ever brought against him. I declared his innocence and in doing so found my own. I spent most of my life accusing God, who was declaring me innocent, of being guilty. God, you are innocent. Me, you are guilty. Some, re some real twisted logic right there. No more of that. So today I proclaim God is not guilty. I'm sure he's relieved. <laughs> I know I am. That was such a big event for me, realizing that I had just blamed God for all my misfortune in my life or my perceived misfortune in my life, what I labeled as misfortune. And when I found him innocent, I found my own, found my own innocence. Ah, this is called hiding. I have been like a small child hiding behind a curtain, but my father knows where I am. I have never been hidden to him. Hmm. Defined by the past. You are not defined by your past. The past is gone. How can you be, be defined by something that is not? You are defined by the past just as much as you are defined by the future, neither of which exists now. Truly, you are only defined by what is now, right now. Yet, what you truly are is beyond defining. Uh, this is called asking God for what I need. I rarely ask God for what I need anymore. How do I know what I need? I'm usually mistaken about it in some way. If I step back from it and look, it's usually the ego demanding attention. Instead, I'm learning to surrender my own apparent needs to God and then ask him for the grace to receive what I really need. Life works out much better that way, usually in surprising ways. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. This is called peace. Do not try to find peace in a situation. Peace does not exist in situations. Instead, enter into every situation from the place of peace. If you do this, peace will protect your heart and mind in every situation. Hmm. This is called meeting Christ, meeting Christ. There's a verse in Ephesians that says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. If Christ dwells in your heart, perhaps that is where you should go to meet him. You can't meet him where he is not. You must meet him where he is. I assure you the only place you can meet Christ is in your heart. <laughs> it's true about other people, isn't it? The only place you can value other people is in your heart, really. Yes, it's here. This is the last thing in the book, and we'll close with this. 
This is called life and activity. There's another verse in the Bible in Hebrews 4, and it says, For the word of God is living and active. <clears throat> if the word of God is living and active, then this word must be found where there is life and activity. There is no life and activity in a book. A book just sits there. It doesn't move. It doesn't breathe. It doesn't respond or think. It has no experiences to share. However, a book can certainly point to where life and activity is. Take a closer look at this. What is the most obvious or noticeable thing to you in which you are aware of life and activity? Is it not you? Are you not aware of the life and activity within you more than in anyone else or anything else? You, the creation of the creator, are alive and active. The word of God must be experienced. No, the word of God must be where life is experienced within you. See, the word of God is alive within you. Where life is experienced. Because everything you experience is from here, isn't it? You're experiencing life from where you see from. From where you hear from. From here. From where you witness from. This is where life is. This is life as you. You are life itself. You do not have a life. You are life itself. So thank you for listening to some readings from this book I published. This is Gary by the chalkboard. And uh, we'll be talking to you again soon. Thank you.